Every play, every stat, every breakdown, on their own they're essential, but altogether they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advantage tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing pieces to get the most out of every second of film. Learn more at huddle.com slash a quick timeout. It's great to have on the show this week a coach who I've respected for a long time, have had the opportunity to coach against his teams in the past. He's currently the associate head coach at VMI under Coach Andrew Wilson, Coach Dave Davis. Coach Davis, welcome to the show. Thank you, Tony, for having me. Coach Davis has been on several championship D1 staffs as an assistant coach, and he's had close to over 30 years at the head coaching position and has just done an incredible job at all of the stops that he's had, especially the D2 level. So a lot that we could talk with him about today, but I wanted to talk specifically about the idea of playing fast. And we've mocked before on this show, the presser of all head coaches, it seems like nowadays, everybody says that they want to play fast, but actually playing fast and what that looks like. And some of the stats from Coach Davis, I was looking over these last night, then he sent me some stuff as well. Led the country D1, D2 in scoring five times. Had at one point in one one D2 matchup 146 points. I think maybe nowadays, Coach, that doesn't sound super impressive because the NBA is scoring at an alarming rate, but that's still at the college level. That does not happen. Yeah, that was against what was the best defensive team in our league that year too. It wasn't a you know a, a, a game maybe that you were supposed to win, so it was it, it was a crazy game. Lest people kind of uh, dis- dismiss the level of play for whatever reason, uh, went into the Dean Dome and put up sixty six and a half. I yeah. think that's still a record that still stands. It was yes. at the time. Yes. And then scored 56 against Purdue as a D2 school. One season I know of, you guys averaged 103 points per game. Yes, uh, sir. I'm impressed when we get 100 points like in a game or two during the season. <laughs> that was a regular thing for you guys. Is the key to recruit basketball players or track athletes? Oh, it's a great question. I think the decision to go to the all-out fast pressing trapping and get the game at the highest rate of speed was because we could not recruit players better than yours. Hmm. We could recruit five, 10 to six, two guys that could do some good things. Uh, and we needed to find a way to be successful with guys that size. So long before, uh, most people did it, we went positionless. Basically it was, four guards all the time, five guards some of the time. We switched everything defensively. We knew we were already at mismatches. So the reason people don't switch a lot of times is they don't want to get mismatches. We had already conceptually by who we had on our team (laughs) kind of had that. So I don't know if you can say it was out of necessity. There's a lot of uh, programs that score a lot of points, but they're not winning uh, doing that. And we were trying to find a way that we could be successful day in, day out, make people play a different way. And that's kind of where all this came from. I was with Bobby Lutz when I first got in it. Uh, Coach Lutz was an unbelievable uh, man. Coach is all-time win leader at Charlotte, but uh, at Pfeiffer, I think he won seven straight uh, conference and district championships and went to NIIA. 
Final Fours, Elite Eights, played in the national championship game. And we played fast for sure. Um, so that was kind of the start of my thought pattern. But it evolved out of trial and error. You know, it was just the way we could play every day, practice every day, commit to every day. And we felt like it was not something the opponents could prepare for. Mm-hmm. You know, your point on both play, really, it's both players and coaches. Everyone says they want to play fast, but the commitment and effort level uh, to it, you know, is really, really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and lots of people try it and then back off it. I think this is true of whatever philosophy. I mean, basketball is one of the coolest games because there's so many different ways to be successful offensively, so many different ways to be successful defensively. But what what's what are those different styles have in common is they commit to it. The players believe in it. The coach believes in it. Coach gets the players to believe in it. And that's kind of what we were able to do. So many things that are different. You know, we, we were smaller. Uh, the four guards or five guards all the time. We played 10 to 12 guys a game. We've done that on the division one level, which no one does. Mm-hmm. I've been able to convince uh, the guys I work with that that's a, that's a good thing to do. And then it's all about pressure, right? Like if you had to boil down what it was we tried to do offensively and defensively, it was the list of things I hated to play against when I was a player people in my face, bothering me, pressuring me, uh, just coming at me every single time down the floor. Like that's really hard to deal with, right? That was really hard for me to deal with as a player and just felt like doing that relentlessly was what made us successful. Mm -hmm. Uh, You you saw our offense in person, so it was was a joke. I mean, it's the most ridiculously simple (laughs) thing in the history of basketball. If it didn't score 100 points a game, you would be embarrassed to talk about it. I mean, we basically ran down the floor and stood still in Division Two for 20 years. You could you could pop in your VHS tape from 20 years ago and get the same scout you got from last night. <laughs> it was amazingly, amazingly simple, but it was relentless. Mm-hmm. And it was just um, attacking, and it was just coming at you over and over and over again. I think when people think about this style of basketball, they think that no defense is played. Yeah. And you kind of have alluded to that. And there's a bunch of stuff that you just mentioned that I do want to kind of dig into a little bit. But they get this idea of, I don't know, I, I think people talk about Grinnell and they probably never even seen Grinnell either. But they just, the idea is we're going to come down jack threes and then we're going to just let you score on the other end. I always felt like, when I was preparing for your teams, I was actually preparing for the defense. I wasn't preparing for the offense. <laughs> yes. So can you talk a little bit about your defensive philosophy and how that was really the jump start to the yeah. scoring, which goes contrary to probably what people are thinking? No, a- absolutely. So I think that you're right that people think that, and I and I think they think that for good reason. I mean, I've, I've watched and studied you know, every team that's ever played fast, and many of them almost are trying to let you score. They're not concerned about it. I mean, our defensive goal was turnover. We're going to try to force a turnover first, bad shot second, one shot third. You could watch my teams play and probably say they don't, they don't play defense, but I I promise you we were trying. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, the first year we committed to the pressing game, uh, we forced 28 turnovers a game. We won 19 in a row and averaged 102 a game from the point we committed to it. 
and I learned this. I was actually sharing this uh, with one of our assistants yesterday because we're, you know, we're a, we're a new program here. We're trying to, we know what we want to do offensively. We're not sure what we want to do defensively. But pr- the pressing game was not about doing it perfectly. Like, like that's what I learned in the first year. Like I would look at it, study it, you know, and watch us. And, and, and uh, we always had one, two or three guys doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. But, but what we did learn was to play so hard and put so much pressure on the basketball that people just kept making mistakes even while we weren't doing it right. So, and then it was again, the relentless, you were going to get it every time, you know, on every make and on every miss, somebody was going to be in your face. Somebody was going to be pressuring you. And our press was different, is different uh, in that we were trying to speed you up. Like we were not going to let you play slow. What, what I learned kind of early in the game was our press was good, but we could only run it on makes. And if we weren't scoring, then you got to control tempo. Mm Mm-hmm. And then saw in a team camp, a high school team pressing on misses. And I went, oh, this is this looks good. So I spent some time talking with that guy and found a way to implement that. And, and then it basically became, you know, there was all you had to be the most disciplined team, most disciplined coach in the world not to push the ball against us because of the way we pressured you and forced you up the sideline and and those kind of things. So. Something that you said there, I felt like when we played, there were a couple of things that came to mind. The first was you were playing the entire length of the game. It wasn't about like, we're going to press and hopefully this gets us something. Right. And I think that's when the mentality for most coaches go, this isn't getting us something. So we're going to stop pressing. Yeah. You didn't care. You cared less about each individual possession. You were more about winning the war, not the battle. Yeah. So, and the, so true. So true. And then the other part of it was when you did score, there was false hope that was given to us as the opponent. Like this is working, we're scoring. But then you look up at the clock after, you know, five or 10 minutes and you're down by 15 points. And again, that goes back to the the whole, the, the length of it, even though you were getting points off of it, there was still, you guys were scoring on the other end as well. Yeah. And so you weren't ever really ever able to control the possession the way that you thought you were going to be able to against your teams. So many things come to mind as you speak, <laughs> all those things, you know, I got all these things running through my mind, but I was the guy who pressed until you scored twice. And then I didn't press anymore. Yeah. And then I really analyzed my incredible half court defensive teaching skills and, and realized that people did score two times in a row against that unbelievable defense as well uh, upon occasion. So you're so right in what we bought into, right? We're going to put you, we're going to make you play fast and put you in advantageous offensive looking positions. And then we're going to try to play so hard that we can make up for giving you that advantage. And then if you score, we're coming right back at you, right? And if we can get the game at the pace we want, we were really confident. I told our coaching staff, I told our players, this is a second half of the game philosophy. And this is where I really think what we did was contrary to what everyone believes. It was a second half of the season philosophy. One, because we're going to get better at it. And two, because everyone else is going to get tired and everyone else is going to start playing less people the closer you get to the end of the season. 
Yeah. Now we're going to play 10 to 12 all year. We're going to be fresh all year. And when they get down to the part of the end of the season where the coach is like, this game is, is our last one. This is the one that, you know, counts and they want to really shorten their bench. You know, we, we really got an advantage on it. We played in the NCAA regional final one time and you've seen me coach. So I'm pretty much a stand up, get, get after it kind of guy. And the coach on the other end, uh, the first five possessions of the game was yelling at his guys to push the ball. Go, go, go. And I went over and sat down. <laughs> I said, this is going to be fun. I'm going to watch this. <laughs> and uh, and I think uh, it is a really, really, really good team. And uh, I think uh, it was tied at halftime or we were up two and we won by like 35. And, and I would say, Tony and – there are probably 40 times, maybe more than that, where we were tied down or really close at halftime and won by 20 or more, mm-hmm. you know, with this philosophy. A quick timeout podcast is presented by Dr. Dish Basketball. Dr. Dish machines are the most advanced shooting machines on the market. If you haven't already, join top programs like the Miami Heat, the Philadelphia 76ers, the Duke Blue Devils, and countless others and an upgrade to Dr. Dish Basketball. And now, save an extra $300 on select models when you mention Quick Time Out Podcast. To find out more, visit drdishbasketball.com. A big thanks to 323 Sports for supporting the show. The guys with 323 Sports are a team dealer providing uniforms, gear, equipment, and more to schools and colleges across the country. I've used them on multiple occasions, and their customer service and low prices are second to none. To find out more, visit 323sports.com or you can reach out directly to a rep at sales at 323sports.com. They'll be sure to do it right for your sports program. All right, let me talk about and ask you a little bit about the press. Without feeling, because this could be an entire clinic, without feeling like you need to explain everything, what would you say were the the main keys to the press? So the the philosophy behind uh, the press was speed you up, get the ball out of the middle of the floor, and trap it with the kind of goal being uh, if we can make you play fast and we're going to play as fast as we can, we can wear you out. You can't prepare for that. Uh, No one, you know, almost no one practices full court. We practiced full court, you know, half or, or more of our practices each day. And then the other defensive philosophy was you never get to do anything you've practiced unless we decide we're going to let you or you've practiced it specifically for what we're doing, which meant you had to change everything about what you did offensively. And we got to do what we do every day and you didn't. And we felt like that would give us an advantage. So we would trap more often than not when the ball crossed half court, however it crossed half court. So we had drills that we made up based on what we played against. So every different way, dribble across, throw it, Side to side, dribble across, skip it, same side, you know, any possible way the ball could cross half court. We were going to go, our press ended after the first trap. So we might be chasing the ball for three, four passes in the half court, but we're still in our press. Why? Because we haven't got a trap yet. And once we got the trap, we sprinted out of the trap, and then we were in whatever we called our half court defense, uh, which was more often than not pressure man deny but sometimes it was trapping half court, man. <laughs> so we come out of our press into a get all matched up again. And then the next opportunity, and we had these kind of outlined, we would trap again. 
just hearing that, you can imagine that eliminates 99.8% of the coaches in the world because they're like, what in the world, right? And, uh, and it sounds extremely complicated, and it might have some complications to it, but it's amazing what you can do if that's what you do every day. And then it's also what I taught all the time, and I, I didn't go into it this way. I learned it uh, through trial and error. Listen, you don't have to do this perfectly. You just have to do it, you know, absolutely as hard as you can. It's an empty the tank mentality every time you go into the game. You know, go as hard as you can for as long as you can. And, you know, you're probably coming out before you're too tired anyway. So just just understand, well, you know, that's hard. Like like kids, you know, why are you taking me out? That that you know what? You know, we just started it that way. That we don't have starters, we have enders. If you're in the game at the end of the game, you know you're a starter. And we subbed five and five a lot. Again, that was not by plan. That was just kind of happenstance. It, it, you did it. It worked. We kept doing it kind of deal. I don't believe any assistant coach I've ever had thought that was a good idea, subbing five <laughs> and five. I think I'm the only one that ever thought that was a good idea. But that was a buy-in to how hard we were going to play, right? Like you five guys are going in the game. As soon as one of you lets up, you're all coming out. Well, coach, I didn't let up. Why are you taking me out? John's the guy that let up. I said, well, go talk to John. <laughs> and, uh, and we just built this mentality, you know, over and over and over again in practice and in games. And, well, how do you get them to buy into that coach? The same way you get them to buy into anything, you, you are successful doing it. Yeah. We were ridiculously crazy, incredibly fortunate that when we did this, we won 19 in a row in the first year. And it, was, it wasn't mid-season, but it was after Christmas. You know how you have that in small college, you got a pretty good break over Christmas. We had lost playing zone to Johnson C. Smith. I was going to be a great zone coach that night. And, uh, <laughs> and we lost, and I, and I stewed for a couple of weeks. And I said, we may lose again, but we will not lose on our heels. And just went to – they came back, and I was ready for, for blasting. And, and on we went. And then, you know, we just, just immediately had tremendous success. So – I share at clinics with people, if you're thinking about changing your philosophy, the best thing to do is win 19 in a row right after you do it, because uh, then <laughs> they'll believe in it. And uh, I also don't believe, you know, you've, I've ever had a group of players that thought, you know, I'm really excited to be one of 12 guys who's going in the game, right? They're not, that's not what they want to do. That's not how it's drawn up. That's not what they watch on TV. Yeah. So that's really, really hard too. But, you know, if you're successful doing it, Kids can complain. They always complain. It's what kids do. It's it, it's their deal. Um, but it's really hard to complain, you know, when you're winning it at Winthrop. You know, we we won just about every game in two years there, and you know, we were playing eleven and twelve guys there, and uh, they weren't happy about it. Yeah. What? But what do you say? You know, it's, this works, right? right? And they did get to where they're really pulling for each other, and and that was a big part of of what we did too. Like everybody's a coach. If you're not in the game or the drill, there's too much for us to teach for us coaches to be able to handle this. We're not going to be able to do it. You guys got to help us do that. And um, building that philosophy and whatever you're running, right? If your players are teaching it, coaching, it means they buy into it. They believe in it. And we got that uh, really going. Uh, when I went to Newberry, we would have Pfeiffer guys come to the game and coach our players from behind the bench. <laughs> our, our players are looking around at people they don't know. And, and how did you know what he was going to say? And, <laughs> it really, it really got to be a cool thing, fun thing, you know, especially, you know, when, when you're like you and I, and we've 
we've coached a long time. It's, it's fun to look back at those things and, and the memories you, you have and you create is, is really, really cool. From the coach's perspective, I would guess that playing the number of guys that you did for most, there is this fear that there's going to be this huge drop off. Yeah. I would also guess that the number, the way that you played actually raised the floor closer to the ceiling in regards to your best players and your not so good players because of how often they were on the floor. And then also just probably the way that you practiced. And I also want to say about the practice, correct me if I'm wrong, or I'm guessing here, I would guess that you talked about we're trapping maybe in the full court, trapping in the half court, trapping sometimes. And while that might sound confusing, I'm guessing that most of that trapping looked the same. It didn't matter where it was. So they actually learned what you were doing. You could just kind of quickly make the call, whether it was full court, half court. And so it wasn't necessarily as confusing as it sounds. No, it's uh, it's all, all all great points and, and might have to have you say some of that again, because, again, you've triggered so many things in my mind. But um, so people thought we had like 10 different presses. We had one press that we adjusted based on what your press offense was. So you're so right. Like um, one of the things I really, really, really tried to do, it's hard to do this when you're trapping is um, create the same habits in everything you do. You're not teaching a hundred different ways to doing this. You're teaching one way that might have an adjustment to it and one way that you might start in a different place and then do the same thing. But that was enough of a change to make it difficult on the entry pass. Or, you know, one thing we did was when I was first doing this in North Carolina, Dean Smith said your four man should inbound the ball, right? Um, And everybody listened to Dean Smith in those days. I listened to Dean Smith in those days. So everybody just about had their four man inbound the ball in their press. So we weren't trapping the first pass, but if you're four man inbound to the ball, we trap the first pass, get the ball out of the point guard's hand, get it back into the four guys hand, and don't guard him. Now, what are you going to do? Well, they didn't have James worthy playing the four, <laughs> you know, they, that guy was in a panic and we would get turnovers all the time from the four, just giving us the ball while unguarded, like no one was guarding him. So just little, you know, just just little nuances like that. And uh, most of the stuff in the backcourt was like most presses in the backcourt. Hope you do something stupid. The turnover part came, you know, after the ball crossed half court. Most of the time we, you know, we did get some turnovers in the backcourt. Once you would wear down, get mentally tired and you just kind of give it to us on the inbound or that kind of thing. But um, but yeah, it's, it, you know, just, just, just over and over. And then the, the 10 to 12 players, you know, every, every clinic I've ever spoke at, well, coach, I don't have 12 players I can put in the game. And my answer every time was, and this is as true as anything has ever been, Tony, I didn't either. <laughs> I've never had 12 guys that you would put in the game. Yeah. I just gave them things they could and could not do. And if they did it that way, they got to go back in. Yeah. So now you limited what they could do, but they could play unbelievably hard and not try to do things they're not capable of. And how much better did that make our depth? How much better, you know, practices were great because eight guys knew they were playing a lot and four guys knew they were going to play based on what they did in practice that day. So instead of having the seven that are going to play 
and the seven that aren't going to play in practice, which is, I think, is what most people have. You know, we had almost nobody that didn't have a legitimate chance tomorrow to play 10 to 20 minutes in the game. And it was based on what they did that day. And um, I'm telling you that, you know, if you, whatever you do, if you can get to play in 10, I mean, it makes your practices so much better. And those guys are so much more engaged because they got a legitimate shot to play tomorrow night. You know what I mean? And you mentioned the the winning streak and how that keeps guys motivated, but also the hope of being able to play, even sure. though it may not be as much as they want. And I would assume, too, that along the way you dispelled something and maybe we should talk about this more. I did this as an activity this year. I asked the guys be like first practice. How many minutes per game are you hoping yes, for this year? And that. then we add them all together and it's like 500 minutes. Like <laughs> right. Everybody just has, you know, expectations that are not actually able to be met. And sure. so if you can kind of crush those from the beginning and say, but you are going to get the opportunity that yeah. motivates kids. So we would, it, it, we still do this, but we would do one minute scrimmages um, mm-hmm. near the start of practice for one minute. You know, we're not going to blow the whistle unless there's a foul, but we're going to play for one minute. And let's see if you can play Pfeiffer basketball, Newberry basketball, Winthrop basketball, VMI basketball at the pace we want you to. And in one minute, you know, they're all just like falling over. And I said, how many people here want to play more than a minute at a time? Oh, I do, coach. I said, no, you don't. I just watched you play for one minute. I'd had to take you out three times. <laughs> so, you know, they learn very quickly how important it is, uh, uh, the speed that we're talking about. I mean, our speeds were offensive as fast as you can without turning it over. Defensive speed, we called faster than you can. Hmm. What does that mean, coach? What means that it better be the fastest I've ever seen you run in your life because oftentimes we were behind the ball, right? We're trying to speed you up. We got a guy on the ball. If the pass goes, there's one or more guys behind the ball and their job was to catch it chase it, catch it, knock it out, trap it. And uh, you can imagine the the speed level you've got to have to do that and not give up, you know, layup after layup. Side story here. You mentioned the four man inbounding the ball. I've got Doug Novak on record mentioning your name saying, I learned from Dave Davis never to have my four man inbound <laughs> the, ball, the ball. So you have a, uh, you have revolutionized offense because of your press down well, here. In the you South. know, it, in that light, almost the reason we had to come up with what people thought were 12 different presses because everybody changed their press offense for us and needed to, right? Like originally everyone inbounded with the four, two guards at the free throw line, next two bigs at the half court line. And, you know, we full faced that. We just turned around with two guys and didn't let you get it into those two guys. And we had a center fielder, didn't have a guy on the ball, was three against two. And you really struggled to get the ball inbounds. That was everyone's press offense <laughs> back in the day, and we were killing that. So everybody had to change, and a lot of people went to having their point inbound. Uh, whoever catches it, throw it right back to him. Now he got it behind the press, could see the whole floor, and they try to clear everybody out, and he'd take his time coming up. So we had to start trapping the point guard in the backcourt just for the speed him up process, you know. I like to kind of summarize it all by asking a coach something like, if you're going to be a pressing coach, you have to finish the sentence here. Fully commit to it. It's not a part-time job. Before I worked for Pat Kelsey, he called me up mid-season one time and he said, I hate what we're doing. We got a couple of people hurt. I want to start pressing and trapping. I said, when do you play your next game? He goes, in two days. I go, <laughs> you, I said, you know, we start in August. Yeah. 
and I don't feel good about our game tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I <clears throat> you can kind of press. Um, I don't think you can press and trap. That's that's a whole nother level of pressing. Mm-hmm. Um, but you certainly can um, one two 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 one, and you don't have to fully commit to those presses. It's they're not intricate. Um, they're basically designed to just keep you in front. You know, hope you do something stupid, slow you down, eat some shot clock. But if uh, pressing and trapping is the way you're describing the press, or or any kind of speed you up game, I mean, it's a full time commitment. So I would say we spent 80, 85 percent of our time on defense, and fifteen to twenty percent on offense in our in our prep in our practices and and all those kind of things. And, um, and obviously there was tremendous benefit to you turn people over 30 times a game. It turns into some easy offense, but people always asked me, could you run your offense and not press? And I said, I think so, because, you know, we do that on dead balls. We do that on slow break situations. We were still doing basically the same thing. And then when I worked for coach Kelsey at, at Winthrop at the college of Charleston, you know, he's a pack line guy and unbelievable at it and really good at it. And we did what we did offensively and didn't do that defensively. And we still were able to be successful. We led the league in scoring, I think, all three years I was with him. So number one in pace one year in, in NCAA Division One. So uh, it's not dependent on the defense, but there's no doubt. And for us, it was, you know, again, it was a personnel decision, right? You are already mismatched. What can what defense can you play when er, you know not everybody's mismatched, but two or three guys are, and that that's kind of why we uh, committed to it. I'm guessing there are coaches who are listening to this who are going to want some more information. Do you have anything that you could give to them? Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, probably have some film edits, but definitely have it all on paper. Uh, in writing, I've got a couple of powerpoints. I'll share all that with you, Tony, or you can share my email address. Uh, with folks. Um, there's nothing uh, um, that we do that I have not shared my entire career. I, I believe deeply in that. I think all coaches should be that way. I mean, we were living proof that it wasn't the design of the play, but the execution of the act right. that led to success. And uh, I think that's true in almost everything you do. I know some guys are guarded and they want to hide their stuff, but Every coach in our league had all of our stuff in writing because I, I would share it with anybody who would share it with them. So, uh, yes, yeah, uh, um, the pressing game, the fast break, how it's evolved a little bit. Division one, like we never cut uh, out of the break, and, and we're doing some of that now. We're doing some different things, um, but happy to share anything, happy to talk with anyone uh, individually. If anybody wants to come to VMI and watch practice, watch games sit down and just talk hoop. I'm a junkie uh, just like you and uh, and do that on a regular basis and love doing that and love getting questioned about it. If we can't defend what it is we're doing, then we shouldn't be doing it. Great stuff. That's Coach Dave Davis, Associate Head Coach at the Virginia Military Institute. Coach, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, Tony.